so glad you're here today because we are starting a new series. It, we're, we're, again, we're staying in this whole theme of life in the kingdom of God. And, and what we're seeking to do is to study it from the perspective of the Old Testament. We know that the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. Until my dying breath, I'm going to continue to pronounce this truth that, that the Bible is in four parts. Can you say those four parts out, out loud with me? Let's say it together. What is it? It's creation... That's right. It all began at creation. We were made in the image of God. We were given responsibility to, to take this garden and to grow it, to cover the face of the earth and to populate the planet with more people. But rather than trusting God, we turned our backs on God and there was the fall. And, and with the fall came pain and suffering and, and all kinds of problems. Now, Jesus came to save us. The Lord God did not leave us. Instead, he chose to rescue us. And so what we see in the Old Testament are these, these stories and these events that are all pointing to the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, who has come to, to give new life. The, the prophets and the patriarchs, uh, all the writings, they, they point to this, this one who is to come. This one on the day of the fall was promised that he would crush the head of Satan even though it would cost him his life. This is the, the greatness of our God. And we know that Jesus has come and we know that Jesus is going to return and that with him, the restoration will begin. And until that time, we live in this broken world, trusting in God, walking with him, believing in his promises. Romans chapter 15, verse four says this, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, and again, those scriptures he's referencing are the Old Testament. Through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So what we're gonna do is we're going to take the next few weeks leading up to Easter, and we're gonna study the Old Testament. We're gonna look at the themes of the kingdom of God and, and how they help us to understand what God is doing in the world and why. Today, we're gonna be in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is, is a book that helps us understand how it is we must trust God. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go ahead and go to the book of Genesis. Go to Genesis chapter 3, but while you're turning there, uh, let me just give you a heads up. One of the most important verses in uh, the, the book of Genesis, and, and maybe the entire Bible, it's found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where God makes this promise to Abraham that the whole world will be blessed through his family line. What we're going to do today is we're going to begin by looking at the conversation that the devil had, the, this, this snake had with our race and, and what happened there. And God willing, we're gonna work our way through Genesis quickly and get to the end to, to understand how it is and why it is we are to trust God. To give a sense of overview, we're, we're going to, to use a resource by the Bible Project. I highly recommend this resource to you. Uh, over 15 years ago, Living Hope was one of many churches that uh, gave uh, financial assistance to make resources like this available. And so this is the overview from the Bible Project on Genesis. Let's watch this together. The book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. 
So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible, and God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans, or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential, to care for it, and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden, like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now, the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the humans seize autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. Again, that's the Bible Project. I highly recommend it to you. I, I use it every time I'm going to be, begin a study of a, of a book. And it, the one on Genesis, that's just the first couple of minutes uh, of, of the first section. There's actually two, and they are fantastic. What, what the book of Genesis helps us understand is that we have a choice to make in terms of who or what we're going to trust. What and who we trust defines everything about our lives. What you're trusting in, what you're relying on will determine how you process life and what it is you pursue. And so it's crucial that you come to terms with who it is or what it is you're actually trusting in. And what our text, what we're going to learn today is that trusting God, trusting God is the right choice. And I hope that you'll make it. Let's begin at the beginning uh, and let's go to Genesis chapter three. Adeline is going to come and read first verses four through six. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Genesis chapter three, verses four through six. Sweet girl, would you read that for us? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, sweet girl. If you would all be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. 
Well, on Tuesday morning, very early, I don't want to overstate this, but the, the fact of the matter is, is Miss Carrie and I almost died. We were uh, on our way to a 6.30 flight uh, to, to get out of town. And as we were going on 65 South, I, I was going 75 miles per hour because I'd set cruise control there. And just as we passed in the state of Tennessee, a, a hubcap or something came off of an 18-wheeler and was headed right for us. And I turned and avoided the main hit, but it ripped our left front tire to pieces. And we began to wobble and shake and thank God we were able to get off to the side of the road. Now, by the time we stopped and I collected myself and realized that we still had a flight to catch and we needed AAA to get there, I was shaking. So I've got my AAA card and I can't read it because I'm shaking. So I give it to Miss Carrie and she can't read it because she can't find her reader. So there we are, right? On I-65 with, with, with the means to, to help and no one can read it or get to it. So she took a picture of it and she, you know, blew it up and I called and, and, and they came. And um, it, it was a terrifying moment. And in the midst of that, I, I looked over at Miss Carrie and I said, God has a plan for this. We don't understand why this has happened, but we left at the time. I set the speed. We came to this point and this has happened for a reason. We're just going to have to trust God. And you know, all of us are going to have those experiences in life. We're going to have these times that are terrifying, that are, that are awful. And, and we're going to have to decide what to do with them. We're also going to have wonderful times in our life. And in those moments, we're going to have to decide, what do we do with these? Who is it that we praise? Well, who is it we trust? Who is it we're leaning on when these, when these times take over and they, and they terrify us and they cause us to tremble? And at the same time, they cause us to be in awe. Well, for those of us who are alive in Christ, we can know that God has a plan for our life that, that is good. And friends, we can trust. Yes, there, there are going to be tough days, but, but we can trust God day by day. And, and the Bible tells us over and over again, trust God. It says in Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Now, now to trust God, you can't lean on your own understanding. You can't trust in yourself. You have to trust in God. You have to acknowledge that he is Lord and that he is always right and always good. And there's a blessing according to this scripture. He will make our path clear. He will guide us into what is best. The book of Genesis tells us about human beings who were given opportunity over and over again to trust God. And so what we see from Adam to Noah to Seth to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who became Israel and all their sons and, and the focus person, Joseph, here at the end. We, we see people who had to learn to trust God, just as you and I, too, must learn to trust God. And, and what our text helps us to do is it helps us as citizens of the kingdom of God to trust him by doing three very important things. And that's what I would encourage you to write down and remember. And the first one is this. Citizens of the kingdom of God they trust God by refusing to believe the lies of the enemy. Refusing, refusing to believe the lies of the enemy. Look, look what it says in verse four. Look at it again. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
Friends, that's a flat out lie. What God actually said to Adam is recorded in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the garden of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, it, uh, eat of it, you shall surely die. The conditions of this covenant were clear. God said plainly, if you will trust me, if you will do what I have told you to do, then I will bless you and I will care for you. But if you go against me and you don't trust me, you're on your own and you will surely die. This prohibition provided an opportunity for God's created people in his image to trust him. Now, over the years, I've heard a lot of criticism of God uh, from people who, who don't understand the, the, the power of the scriptures and, and the greatness of God and say something silly like, well, why did God ever put that tree there anyway? Why, why didn't he just, you know, make the world without all this stuff? You gotta understand, God doesn't want forced trust. God wants chosen trust. God wants us, when our bodies and the world around us is telling us not to, to see that we choose to trust God. When we choose to trust God, we glorify him. We, we acknowledge his greatness and his power and his love. And we, we dishonor the devil and all the lies. Now, the strategy of this snake, which, which represents the darkness, I, I refer to it as the devil. It may or may not be, but it's certainly evil. The strategy of the kingdom of darkness is revealed in this, this, this interchange. Uh, go to verse one. You're there in chapter three. Go to, go to verse one. Three things I would encourage you to see in terms of the strategy of the kingdom of darkness. First one is to create dissatisfaction. Look what it does, what, what the, the snake does. It, you know, it basically says, you mean you can't eat of this wonderful tree? Notice it doesn't say, look at all the great things that God has done for you. Look at all the wonder of, of your God. Look at all that is available to you. What does it do? Instead, it says, look at this one thing that you can't have. Isn't that awful? And what the devil does is create dissatisfaction and then deception. Look in verse four, just lies. You won't, you won't die if you eat it. It's a lie. That, that's what sin does. It lies to us and it makes liars of ourselves to ourselves. It creates this, this terrible deception. And then the, 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 the end, the nail in the coffin, if you will, verse five, is to create doubt. What it basically says is, you can't trust that God because he's trying to keep you down. He's trying to keep you miserable. He doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to be like him and, ha and have all that he has. He's trying to keep you down. This is what the kingdom of darkness does. Creates dissatisfaction, creates deception, creates doubt. Adam and Eve, they were not strong in their trust and so they were deceived. If we're going to choose to trust God, friends, we've got to be strong in our trust. We've got to know what is true. We got to remember two things. The first one and probably the, well, they're both equally important. Very important is to understand that the devil is a liar. Don't believe him. Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of his day in John 8, 44 says, you are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. 
Adam and Eve did not see the snake as a liar. Friends, we must see the lies of the enemy. And the only way you're gonna be able to see the lies of the enemy is to know the word of God, is to know the word of truth. Remember God's word, Proverbs 30, verse five. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Adam and Eve did not remember God's clear word. They did not, they did not hold to that truth. They did not trust what God has said. Friends, if we're going to choose to trust God, we're going to have to know God's word. We're going to have to memorize God's word. We're going to have to obey God's word and do it with a heart that delights to do it. To delight in reading God's word. To delight in memorizing God's word. To delight in obeying God's word. And the only way you will ever be able to do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do that in your flesh. You're not going to do that with willpower. Okay, I'm going to make myself happy to do this. That's not how it works. Either you're happy or you're not. Either you're delighted in God or you're not. And the only way you're ever going to learn and be able to delight in God, it's a supernatural work that begins when you're born again and saved. And when you're born again and saved, you experience the life that comes through the Holy Spirit. As you repent and believe, you're given eyes that can see and ears that can hear. And so you begin to delight and then you seek encouragement by being a member of a local church and connecting and having people in your life that you can discuss your life with according to the word. And then you get trained and equipped as you study God's word. Friends, we, we can, we can choose to trust God as citizens of the kingdom of God. We trust God by, by refusing to believe the lies of the enemy. And then secondly, citizens of the kingdom of God trust, trust God by resting, by resting in the provision of God. Go with me to verse five. Again, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. That snake was tempting them to reject God's provision rather than rest in it. Rather than rest in all that God had given, he, he caused them to reject it. God had provided them with all they needed and this snake was tempting them to want more than what was best for them. Friends, understand our problem is not that we have desires. God made us with desires. All the desires that you have in your life these are desires that, that were meant for an end. The problem is we have disordered desires. When we stop trusting God, everything gets disordered in our minds and emotions. And so that our desires become disordered. They get out of order. They get out of whack. They get out of the way in which God created them to be enjoyed. And so we now live in this world where, where there's a lack of trust in God's provision and has led to enormous human suffering. As a matter of fact, the greatest atrocities on our planet have come about because of people's disordered desires. Rather than resting in God's provision, enjoying his blessings, we have made ourselves and others miserable with our disordered desires. I mean, where do you think war comes from? Where do you think conflict comes from? Where, where, do you, where do you think crime comes from? It comes from people wanting more than they need. It comes from people with disordered desires. Powerful people want more power. So what do they do? They get power and go to war. They steal, they kill, they murder. 
Pleasure-seeking people want more pleasure. So what does that lead to? It leads to obesity and lust running rampant. Popular people want more popularity. And so there's celebrity worship. And so we have people who, who, who stand up and they're pretty and they can pretend to be things. And when they say, them, say things about things outside of their, their discipline, we believe it. We think they're important because we worship celebrity because we, we think popularity is where it's found or possessions. Possession-seeking people want more possessions. You know what that produces? Greed. Where, where does all the pain of our world come from? It comes from greed. It, 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 comes from, it comes from envy. It comes from strife. Where does that come from? It comes from disordered desires. And, and so what happens to the population? Well, it's sad. Work, working people get sent to war. Working people. People who want to provide for their families and do a good job. They get sent to war. They get killed. Unhappy people become addicts. Forgotten people become isolated. And poor people get poor. This is what happens in a world led by disordered desires. And this is our world. But this is not the, the life that God wants for us. God wants us to rest in him. To rest in his provision. Remember what Jesus said about himself in John 10, 10? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But what has God done? God has come to give us life. And what we must remember about ourselves is what we're made with. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11, he, God, has put eternity into man's hearts. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to the end. Friends, we, we are born dissatisfied because we're in a, we're in a fallen, broken world and we are broken people. The one thing that hasn't changed about us, having been made in the image of God, is that we have an eternal longing. We have an eternal soul that has an eternal longing and no created temporary thing can ever satisfy the eternal longing that is in our hearts. Tonight, there's gonna to be a, a great game on TV. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's amazing. Millions of people will spend billions of dollars. And you know what? It can be fun. Again, our desires are not wrong. It's disordered desires. There's something within us that's made to praise and to celebrate and to have community and to eat good food and, and to all good things. It's when things get disordered. And I want to encourage you tonight. As you're watching, whether you watch the game, everything that's going around it, what does it keep pushing? Power, pleasure, popularity, possessions, disordered desires. And remember, these these, these unbelievably talented athletes that, that seem to have it all, make no mistake, they have eternity in their hearts and they desire something greater. In 2005, Tom Brady and the Patriots won the Super Bowl. Now, after, after that win, after that win, he had an interview when he said something so powerfully transparent and sad. Let's watch this interview. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's gotta be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it, I'm 27 and what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Here's a guy 
at the height of his professional career. More money than he can spend. And he, I mean, here's a guy who played for Michigan and goodness gracious, good looking, who would have thought, right? And he's saying, there's gotta be more, right? I mean, there's more, right? What's he saying? He's saying, I've got a desire, I've got a hunger. I, I've got, there's something inside of me. I, there's more than this. Friends, what, what are you trusting? What do you think is going to fill that eternal longing in your soul? What, what is it going to do it for you? Remember what Augustine prayed. 1,600 years ago, I still reference this prayer. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. What did Jesus say? I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Friends, we will never find satisfaction until we're resting in the provision of God. And we'll only do that with radical faith. And that's the third thing I want to point to you. Citizens of the kingdom of God trust God by responding with radical faith in God's word. Radical faith in God's word. Look what happened in verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Adam and Eve showed radical faith in that snake. Radical faith. They didn't know where this creature was from. Calling into question the, the, their maker who has done all that good and yet they showed radical faith by believing the lies of that snake. Friends, it makes only good sense that we would have radical faith in our God. Our God who has proven faithful and true and good and loving over and over again. Even after Adam and Eve fell, even in our fallen state, what did God do? Look in chapter three, look at, look at, verse, look at verse nine. What did God do? It says, but he, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where have you? He sought him. He sought his creatures, his, his creation, the people made in his image. And then what did he do for them? Look at, look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. What did he do? He made a blood sacrifice to cover their, to pay for their sin. And then he covered their shame with, with the clothes and, and, and gave them a righteous standing so they could go into the world. This is what God does. And from this couple came a line, a line of people that were promised, a line of people who were going to come and, and bring about change. This promised line would, 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 was revealed, look in verse 15. This is such an important verse. Speaking to the snake, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and, and you shall bruise his heel. Right there, God is saying from the line of Eve, there's gonna come a man who's gonna crush your head. And so what begins to happen in the Bible and human history from this point forward is humanity keeps looking for a man who's gonna be the Messiah. And so we see this line. We see from, from Adam and Eve, we, we, we see Seth. And from Seth, it goes to Noah. And from Noah, it, it goes to Shem. 
And from Shem, it goes to Abraham. And from Abraham to Isaac. And from Isaac to Jacob, who is Israel, who, who has sons. And, and then the Bible really focuses in on, in the book of Genesis, into Joseph and, and, and his life. And here's what I want to encourage you to know. The patriarchs who, who came through this chosen line proved that none of them were the Messiah. But they did display radical faith in God's word. Over and over again, these very broken men and their families had radical faith. They chose to trust God's word. And Joseph is a perfect example. I mean, here is a guy who was willing to go through what he did and say what he said at the end. Let's go to the end. Go, go to Genesis chapter 50. Let's go to Genesis chapter 50. And, and again, there's so much to study here. I encourage you to get with a small group, a group of men, group of women, and really study the book of Genesis. In the end, go to chapter 50, verse 20. Here Joseph is, with all the power, all the money, the capacity to bring revenge on his brothers. But look what he says in verse 20, powerful stuff. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What did he say? He said, you wanted to hurt me, but God had a plan. The world did not go the way I planned, but God had a plan. I was hurt. I was, was pained. I suffered, but God had a plan. Don't miss how Joseph points to Jesus here. Jesus had to leave his father. Jesus had to live a godly life amongst godly people. Jesus had to be rejected and go through pain and difficulties. And Jesus had to sacrifice his life to give us grace. This is what Joseph did. So that in the end, he glorified God because he chose to trust. Friends, who are you trusting? You who or what are you trusting to define you? Your job, your kids, your family name, the car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes you wear, the people you run with? What or who defines you? That's your trust. Will it satisfy the eternal longing in your soul? Are you making decisions that show your trust in God so that, so that he can satisfy the eternal longings in your soul and give you rest. So long as you are living without Jesus Christ, you have no hope in the world unless in death. You will be miserable and you will make all those around you miserable. You will never be satisfied no matter how much you gain. You will constantly look around and need something to tell you who and what you are, and it will always be tainted with a lie. Friends, that is no way to live. The life that Christ gives is a life filled with love and joy and hope eternal, but you must choose it. Let's stand together as we pray.
Father God, without you, we are miserable, ugly, angry, dangerous creatures. Oh God, help us. Help us. Right now, I want to invite our care leaders, if you will, come forward. And as those leaders are coming forward, let me ask you a question. Have you trusted Christ for salvation? Has Jesus entered into your life by faith? Are you empowered by the Holy Spirit or are you on your own? Friends, don't live another moment on your own right now. Tell God you're wrong, that you've sinned. Ask him to forgive you and to come into your life and take over. Do it right now. And then come and talk with one of these leaders because you need to be baptized. If you've trusted in Christ and you've been baptized, what is deceiving you? What lies are you believing that would cause you to act in a way or speak in a way that is contrary to the will of God? Why are you anxious and angry? What's driving you? Repent of trusting in anything other than Christ, you saints of God, and know that he loves you. He's got a plan for what you're going through. It's not an accident. He knows what he's doing. Trust the Lord. Ask God right now. Say, Lord, forgive me for being anxious. Forgive me for being angry. Forgive me for being sinful, for saying those words, for doing those things. I repent. Now ask for God's help. He knows that we're sheep. He's our shepherd. He wants to help. Ask him to help you right now. What do you need help with? What's making you anxious? What's making you angry? What, what sin is in your life because you're not resting in the provision of God? Ask God to help you to see what he has given you and glorify him for it. Thank him for it. Father, you are good. Oh, you are so good. And Jesus, your, your sacrifice is sufficient to provide forgiveness for our sin and hope for our life. Holy Spirit, you are so kind. You lead us and guide us in truth. Lord, make us to long for your truth and to walk in it. Only you can do that, Lord. We are sheep. We are easily deceived, so, so quickly startled. Oh, help us, God. We need you. We look to you. We hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.